celebrated the glorious truth that because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, In Christ, God is for you, not against you. Praise God for that. We, we must be reminded, I think, of these truths because we're, we're prone to forget. And the devil actually also actively attacks. Uh, we can become vulnerable to both of these things when we, uh, I think, particularly vulnerable to these things when we walk through the dark valleys of life. It, it's too easy to forget who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, especially when we face trials of many kinds. And so today's sermon is really an appeal to you to live by faith in Christ Jesus, even in the darkest of times, not just, not just when you become a Christian, but every day of your life as you wait eagerly for Jesus to return. This life of faith is characterized by peace and joy and comfort and hope. Uh, An appeal is made to live by faith in Jesus Christ because our faith is often tested when trials come or when we live in those deep, dark valleys of life. Naomi, Naomi was living in the darkest of times. Um, In the days when judges ruled, as verse 1 says, there was no earthly king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this led to a repeated cycle of Israel's sin and adultery. They're suffering under sin's consequences. They're crying out to God for help. And God responding again and again to deliver them. It was a dark and turbulent time in Israel's history that was remedied only by the faithfulness, the mercy, and the grace of the Lord. There was also famine in the land, as verse 1 and 2 teach us. A man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab, along with his wife and two sons. Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion made the journey together. Uh, with Naomi to to Moab in search of food. They settled there. The two sons took Moabite wives. But tragically, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion all died in Moab. And somewhere within that 10-plus year stay in Moab, um, this man died and then the two sons died and the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons, without a husband, all alone. These were indeed dark and bitter days for Naomi. In, in today's text, we learn that Naomi returns to Bethlehem of Judah empty. Um, look with me at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So, though Ruth had been in Moab for ten plus years, she she knew it wasn't 
her home. Um, though she now had two Moabite daughters-in-law, she had no other family in Moab. She, she was away from home, and she wanted to go home. So when she was in the fields gathering food, she heard the news that the Lord had again provided food in Judah, and so she arose, she got up with her daughters-in-law, and she set out to return to Judah. Uh, her, her mind was made up, she made the decision, she was ready to go home. So come with me, look with me at verse 7, uh, 7, 8, and 9. So she set out from the place where she was with her daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So Naomi determined that it was time for her to go home. She begins this journey with her two widowed daughters-in-law, but she stopped and she urged them to return to their mother's house. She expresses her thankfulness for their kindness towards her. Um, Naomi even asked the Lord to bless them for the Lord to treat them with the kindness that she had treated the dead and her. So it, it's obvious that she loved her daughters-in-law very much, and she really wanted what was best for them. Life, life as an older widow would have been hard, but life as a younger widow would also include a lot of difficulty and uncertainty at best. In, in her blessing, she asked the Lord to give them rest in the home of a husband. May, may the Lord give you a husband. May you find rest there for your soul. Later, we will learn more of what Naomi was thinking about the circumstances that she was in, namely that the Lord had dealt bitterly with her. But notice two things. One, Naomi had acknowledged that it was the Lord who had again visited Judah with food. And two... She wanted the Lord to bless Orpah and Ruth. She wanted what was good for them, um, and so Naomi kissed them and urged them to return to their homes. Obviously, this was an extraordinarily charged, uh, emotionally charged time in their lives because the, the text says that they wept loudly together. They, they didn't just weep, they wept loudly. Verse 10, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I kept sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore 
wait till they were grown. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? So Naomi desperately wanted them to return to their home, but both of them said, no, we, we want to stay with you. But Naomi urged them even more. And then she explains herself. She says in Leveret marriage was the practice in Israel where the brother of a deceased man would marry his dead brother's sonless wife to carry on his name. Um, but Naomi says, look, I, I'm, I'm too old to marry. I don't have two sons in my womb, but even if there was a miracle this very day, and I did marry and have sons now, would you wait till they are full-grown men to be married? And Naomi was convinced that if they returned with her to Judah, they too would remain unmarried. And that's not what Naomi wanted for her daughters-in-law. And so she, she was emphatic of that. Return to your mother's house. But in verse 13, we read, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi's heart was bitter. In fact, Naomi said it was exceedingly bitter for her to think about her daughters-in-law and how they were impacted by these circumstances in life. It, it pained her heart that Orpah and Ruth were now widows, just as she was. But notice verse, the end of verse 13, Naomi says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. Naomi knew that her God was sovereign. She knew that he was in complete control. Whatever happened in her life didn't happen outside of God's sovereign plan. Naomi had a big view of God, but she didn't like what God had done. Her, her interpretation of the events in her life was that God was against her for some reason. And she was exceedingly bitter about it. She was angry with God. She was bitter because of the conditions in her own life. But she was even more bitter because of how this impacted Orpah and Ruth. And so Naomi pleads with her daughters-in-law to return to their own home. And she urged them to, re re to return. She, she asked the Lord to bless them with a husband and a home. Have, have you ever been bitter towards God because of the circumstances in your life? It, it doesn't have to be loud and boisterous. It can be a quietness of your heart that has bitterness towards God, angry at God. It, it, it's likely that some here this morning, if not many or most, have experienced life differently than you had expected. You have known suffering, you've known heartache, uh, more so than you ever thought you would. You, you love God, you have a high view of God, but you are 
disappointed, you're hurt. You may even be bitter, or like Naomi, exceedingly bitter. Because it feels like God's against you. So what do you do about that? How do you respond to that or to handle that? Well, stay tuned. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a a moment. But first, notice again the raw emotion of verse 14. Um, Verse 14 says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So this must have been quite a scene, very emotional. You get the sense that Naomi had been thinking for some time about these things, about returning. She was was also really thinking about what was best for her daughters-in-law. and She really wanted to make sure that these girls knew that if they returned with her, there's no guarantee for a husband and a future. In fact, they would most likely end up with a bitter life just like she had. They wept together, maybe for some time. These girls were agonizing, or at least Orpah was, and and maybe Naomi sensed that. And then Orpah made her decision. She kissed Naomi, and she returned. She, She went home just as Naomi had wanted her to do. But Ruth clung to Naomi. Ruth wept and did not let go. Naomi urged her to return to her people and to her gods or her idols, just as Orpah had done. But Orpah had clearly made her choice to identify with her people and with her gods. Verse 16. But Ruth said this, listen to this, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. But what a beautiful and powerful declaration of intent. Ruth will not go to her old home. She is committed to returning to Judah with Naomi. Nothing is going to stop her. On one level, it shows Ruth's devotion to Naomi. Nothing can separate the two, but it's really more than that. This is an articulation of Ruth's faith in Naomi's God. I'm not leaving you or your God. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And And then she uses the personal covenantal name Yahweh, which in the English Bible is L-O-R-D with all caps, to make a bold promise, a vow. Ruth binds herself to Naomi by making a vow to Yahweh, even, even inviting consequences if it is broken, if anything but death separates me from you. So Ruth makes a promise to the Lord and to Naomi to follow Yahweh wherever 
he leads. Ruth's devotion to Yahweh is clearly something that came about because of the influence of Naomi uh, and her family in, in her life. Verse 18 tells us, And when Naomi saw that she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. It was clear. Na- Naomi had given Ruth every opportunity to return, but her mind was made up, and it was not going to change. Ruth was committing was committed to following Naomi and her God. Verse 19 says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? So it had been over ten years since they left. A lot had happened in Naomi's life that these people knew nothing about. It's like a missing person has been found after 10 plus years. But there's no Elimelech, there's no Malon, there's no Kilion. Instead, there is a widowed Naomi along with her young Moabite uh, uh, daughters-in-law. You can imagine the stir in this small village what where where have you been what what has happened in your life what what happened to your husband what what happened to your sons how 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 did they die who who are these moabite women with you what what are you going to do now i i would imagine telling and retelling that story most likely multiple times would have caused a tsunami of raw emotions for Naomi. And, and those, those emotions were, in fact, very raw. Listen, verse 20. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. She said, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi could not be clearer. She had been full, now she is empty. She, she went away filled with life and a promise and a future, and now she has returned widowed, childless, and exceedingly bitter. And, and Naomi could not be more clear that it was Yahweh who has dealt very bitterly with her. It, it was the Lord who has done these things in her life. That was her perspective. It it was the Lord that testified against her, and the deaths of her husband and sons is the evidence of that. The the Lord brought this calamity against her. The Lord made her empty. Naomi felt that there must have been some sin in her life, unknown to her, that brought God's hand upon her. This 
way of thinking was also evident in how Job was counseled by his three friends. Which basically meant, if you are suffering, it's evidence that you did something wrong. You are guilty of some sin, and so you probe to look for that sin. And the story of Job is a powerful Old Testament story that demonstrates that wasn't the case. In fact, we're taught through the story of Job that the righteous do suffer. The righteous do suffer. Jesus, the righteous one, did suffer. But for Naomi, this bitterness of soul was so consuming to her that she wanted her name to be changed. She wanted to be called Mara, not Naomi. Her entire life, her identity was made bitter by her suffering. Now, to Naomi's credit, her view of God as sovereign was correct, all-powerful, in control of the universe and her life. But she forgets that God is also good and loving and gracious. She forgot one of the most important Old Testament declarations about God found in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, which says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Her experiences of sorrow had clouded her mind so that she couldn't see the kindness and steadfast love of God. But before we talk about some appropriate application of this passage to your own life, I want you to notice verse 22 says this, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. (laughs) I love that. That, that little statement, the beginning of barley harvest, is a subtle yet powerful reminder of the kindness and grace of God. Naomi would, in fact, come to see that of Yahweh again. But you have to wait a couple weeks to get there. All right, come back. For now, let me, let me conclude with four truths that we learn here that I think are really important for our life today. So in, in, in your life, as you walk through the shadow of the valley of death, you must remember that God's children sometimes suffer. God's children are not immune to suffering in this lifetime. It, it is part of living in a broken, sin-cursed world. But God will not abandon you. He he will walk with you. He will care for you. Psalm 23.4 says this of the good shepherd who is devoted to your care. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for 
you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God, God will bring you through those dark valleys. We, we will begin to taste God's goodness in this life as the Spirit comforts us. But ultimately, it will be in glory where there will be no tears, no suffering, but full joy and peace in God's presence forever. Any, any suffering, or blessing for that matter, in this lifetime will in fact pale in comparison to what we will experience in the presence of Jesus in glory forever. You have this hope because Jesus came to this earth and suffered in your place to give you peace. So remember that God's children sometimes suffer. Secondly, in those dark valleys, you must not lose sight of the character of God. Um, often, often we don't understand the, the circumstances in our life. What we're experiencing may be hard. We may not know the reason behind our suffering. It may make absolutely no sense. And the truth of the matter is that sin never makes sense. It may feel like God has abandoned us or is even against us. M many of the Psalms articulate questions that come out of the pain of life. And many of the Psalms include desperate pleas for God to act. Psalm 10, Psalm 13, Psalm 77, Psalm 88. I could go on. There, there are times God is silent and it seems like um, there isn't an answer. Job, Job felt that for 37 long chapters in the book of Job. God did not speak. Even, even when Job was desperate for answers. But at just the right time, God did speak. God reminded Job of who he was. Job was reminded of God's power and God's character and God's faithful care. And, and Job was comforted by that. Job, Job experienced comfort by God long before his circumstances changed. We know how the end of book Job, the end of Job, uh, how, how Job ends. We we know how things were restored. But long before that restoration, there was comfort that he experienced because he was reminded of the character and the faithful care of God. Third, in the dark valleys of life, you must not lose sight of the gospel. The, the story of Ruth teaches us this. The sweet providence of God in providing a Savior. The, the end of Ruth points to King David, who points to the promised Messiah. And, and I want you to know that in Christ, God is for us, not against us. Again, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Listen as I read Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. A powerful passage of Scripture. It says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? And Romans 5.1 and Romans 8.1 tells us, clearly, God is for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so now, the end of chapter 8, it asks the question, rhetorically, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. And because of the Gospel, you must remember that we live not by sight, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Ruth decisively lived by faith. Ruth was a link to the Messiah. In the darkest of times, there's hope in Jesus. This story was given to reveal the kindness of God in providing a Redeemer, Jesus the Christ. But it's more than that. It's an appeal to you to live by faith in Jesus even in the darkest of times. It's natural to see problems. It's supernatural. It's of God. It's by faith that we can see our good and faithful Savior in the darkest of valleys. May you be comforted by God's faithful presence. May the peace of Christ rule your hearts. May the Lord Jesus be your joy and hope, even in or especially in the deepest of valleys. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the story of Ruth, the story of your providence, the story of you at work in Naomi's life and Ruth's life, even in the most difficult of days. Thank you for your truth that speaks so clearly that through the person and the work of Jesus, we are at peace with you. Your wrath has been removed from us. We're restored and are in good standing with you. What, what a picture, what a declaration of grace, undeserved favor that you have given to us. Thank you 
for the provision of the gospel. Thank you for your spirit that dwells with us, that seal that keeps us to the very end. Thank you that you comfort us by the spirit. You teach us, you empower us. Father, we are a people who are blessed beyond measure in Jesus. And I pray, Father, that all of us, whenever we face difficult times, we would not lose sight of your favor, your grace, your blessings that you have given to us in Jesus. Father, thank you for the certainty of that wonderful truth that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from your love for us in Christ Jesus. Help us to live each day with confidence in you. Help us to face difficult things, not relying upon our own strength, but relying upon you. Help us to live by faith where in the midst of darkness we see the light of Jesus. Father, may you drive away bitterness from our hearts. May you fill us with peace and joy and hope and life in Jesus. By your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.